After a few months living with a pandemic, we're starting to get a better handle on the challenges and opportunities ahead. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. From county fairs to consumers connecting with farmers, the pandemic has brought about a lot of new ideas for agriculture. For those state and county get-togethers, we get some insight not only on how they changed this year, but how some additions for these fairs may not go away in the future. That insight comes from Fran O'Leary, editor of Wisconsin Agriculturist. Then we take a closer look at the opportunities for selling direct from farm to consumer with Kurt Ahrens, field editor for Nebraska Farmer. He shares insights on how this trend is helping farmers and may have added benefits for bringing in the next generation. This episode of Around Farm Progress is supported by the Farm Progress Virtual Experience. Now let's catch up with Fran O'Leary. Fran, good to catch up with you. Um, as I often do when I ask editors about what's going on around the country, the first place I'd like to start is uh, what's the weather like in Wisconsin and how's it been the last few weeks? Well, since August 1st, we've been pretty dry. I was watching the weather yesterday and the weatherman said we've only had less than an inch of rain so far in August and it's August 20th today and we need about an inch and a half more and we're not going to get it. We're dry. We're supposed to maybe get less than a half inch over the weekend and we could use a, a good inch. This is the first time because we've had a pretty ideal growing season up till now. So we're a little nervous, but grass is still green, so I'm not going not gonna to worry too much. That's fair. That's fair. And of course, the reason we're really talking today is about the change in what's going on with state fairs and county fairs. Uh, this has been a year to remember. It's not the first time state fairs have been canceled, obviously. That's happened in the past for different reasons. I know in Minnesota, it happened five times. I don't know about Wisconsin, but you're canceled this year. But right. let's start with the state and then we'll move down to the county. Let's have a little fun first. Okay. Uh, the state fairs are doing some unique things. When Minnesota started uh, today, the 20th, where the drive-through state fair is what I'm starting to call it. Wisconsin did that, right? Drive-through, get food. Yeah, we just concluded our drive-through state fair. It was supposed to be held the 6th through the 16th, and they made it a drive-through event where fairgoers who couldn't live without the famous cream puffs could still drive through and buy those if they went online and ordered them ahead of time and they sold 200,000 cream puffs so it was a it was a success how does that compare to a normal year at the state fair for cream puffs well normally we have a million people attending the state fair and they sell over a million cream puffs i think it's 1.2 million so they sold at the a million less than usual, but I would think that 200,000 cream puffs is still a lot of cream puffs. <laughs> That's great that they're filling the uh, state fair need for food, but state fairs are more than food, as are county fairs, although I'm basically missing a couple of state fair foods this year and I'm not excited about it. But from the standpoint of the county fairs, I mean, it, it's about kids and livestock and kids and projects. How is Wisconsin living with that? And, and I think you've checked around the country a little bit. What have you learned? I checked with the other Midwest states surrounding Wisconsin and Illinois canceled their fair and there is no uh, livestock or dairy show. Same in Indiana and Iowa and I believe Minnesota, correct? You're in Minnesota, so you would know too. 
And Michigan hasn't had a state fair in 10 years, so no state fair there to cancel. They don't have one. People are filling the gaps. I think uh, county fairs, some county fairs went on. There are people that are holding livestock shows. Why is this important? For someone who's kind of a casual observer to the state fair, why do we still see all this pressure to have these livestock shows? What? Because it's happening, whether it's at the county level or fill-ins. People are doing breed shows and things like that. Why is there this pressure to keep going? Well, it's a tradition. In Wisconsin, we've had state fair and county fairs for more than 150 years. And, and it's part of our culture, as well as the highlight for many families during the summer months. And I remember when I was a kid going to the fair, showing at the fair, um, and from my own four sons who were all in 4-H and showed at the fair, the fair was like as important as Christmas morning. And it was in summer and it was a lot of fun and it's just something they look forward to every year. Now, Fond du Lac County had their fair this year, right? Yes, they were one of a handful of counties in Wisconsin who held a greatly modified county fair, but they had one nonetheless. And there were about 14 of the 72 counties in Wisconsin that are holding county fairs this summer of some sort. They're not exactly what you would think of when you think of the county fair in most cases. Yeah, you're not getting the business exhibits or things like that, but you are getting kids showing their projects and doing projects. And I think when you wrote about the Fond du Lac County Fair a little bit, how did they do it? What did, Was there a virtual component? What about social distancing? All that kind of stuff. What? How do they manage that in the time of the pandemic? Well, they were very careful and they decided that it was definitely safer to hold events outside than inside. So they held the the animal shows, but they made sure that they had them spaced out one type of animal each day. For example, on Monday, they had goats and sheep, and Tuesday was the beef show, and Wednesday was pigs and rabbits, and Thursday was poultry, and Friday was dairy. Hmm. So the animals came in, instead of saying for the whole five or six days of the fair, they came in either the night before the show or the day of the show and went home right after judging. So that was different this year, too. Well, significantly, because, I mean, isn't that where you spend your week? Every year you spend a right. week at the fair. Right. They didn't get to do that. But a lot of the dads were happy about that because they didn't have to run a farm and try to be at the fair for five or six days this year. But they also were sad that they didn't get to do a lot of talking to people at the fair like you would normally expect to do. That that component wasn't there because the fair board encouraged kids and their parents only to attend those livestock shows. But there's the other side of this is they did some virtual in Fond du Lac County, right? Yes, they had. Each of the shows were live streamed on Facebook. So extended family and friends and casual observers could watch these shows live at home from the comfort of their living rooms if they wanted to. And they didn't miss the show, even though they weren't at the fair. That brings up a couple of quick questions. Will they do that next year if there's a show? I talked to Matt Immel, who was the Fond du Lac County Fair Board Treasurer, and he said they had a tremendous amount of positive feedback about that, and they are considering doing that 
next year and the year after so that people can watch them from home if they prefer. As we've entered this virtual world, I think there are some issues that people might not think about, and that is that maybe it won't end. Maybe we'll still have a live event, but the virtual will just become a layer as part of that. Um, there was another thing that I picked up on the, the story you wrote, and that is that they schedule judging, especially for the non-livestock projects. So and I kind of know when I'm going to get judged. And really. that was a big hit with families because a lot of parents, as you know, work and they were able to schedule their kids judging so that they could be there and not have to wait long to have the project judged. And on top of that, they posted photos of the kids with their non-animal projects online on the Fonlac County Fair website starting August 1st. So people can go there and check out a photo of that kid's project after it was judged and see a photo of the kid with the project. That's pretty cool. And they may do that in future years as well. Yeah, I mean, once they figure out the process, doing it the first time is kind of challenging. But once you figure out how to do it, I would assume that may not be that big a deal to schedule in the future. That'll be cool. Thinking on your boys and the years that they, they showed, they're not showing now. How would this year have been for you if you had to do this with your boys? Well, it would have been scary because you don't know where this virus is, but my kids showed 26 consecutive years at the Fond du Lac County Fair, and the twins, who were the youngest, last showed in 2013. So it's not something I fortunately had to deal with this year, but if I had, they would have done it. I know they would have, and they would have probably taken only one or two dairy animals each and not any more than that because it would have been, I, maybe they were limited, but I, just the logistics of more than one or two dairy animals per child would be an awful lot of work for one day. Well, yeah, the, the whole idea of the move in, move out would have been I can right. just think of the word horrible. That's all I'm going to go with. Because So those families that brought in a lot of animals, great for them and great for the their support. But speaking of support, a key part of this is the market bidding for these animals. Right. Did businesses but, show up or was this such a cycled out thing that, that they didn't get the same support? That is one thing that Matt Immel was uh, most enthused about was the support they got from the entire community for having the fair and having the shows and having the meat animal sale. They had all kinds of buyers show up and supported the kids as well this year as they do in any other years. And that was a great thing because these kids who sell their livestock projects after the judging were able to get the money they need to depend on for putting away for their college fund or buying that first car or buying their animal for next year. I mean, that, that's something that's hard. And as we've noted too, and I think it's been noted online by many farmers, I've seen it on Twitter and Facebook. Um, these businesses support us for this type of thing. It's only fair in this time when businesses kind of being hurt, we support them back. So I hope that that's a message that's being carried across agriculture too. But it's great that they stepped up and bid for these animals. Very exciting. Because, I, you know, like you say, this is scholarship money for a lot of these right. kids. And uh, I'm pretty sure your boys put themselves through college with a lot of cattle money. So. No, they didn't <laughs> really? have beef. They had dairy. And there oh, was, unfortunately right. was no money um, involved in that. In fact, it cost about $1,000 a year to have my kids showing at all the shows, not just the county fair and state fair, but they showed at district hosting shows, just state hosting show. And to do the 
do the fair circuit, it's not cheap. Um, instead of showing at the fairs now, we go on family vacations. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not showing anymore, so you can go on vacation. That's cool. Right. It's a changed world. It'll be interesting to see when we can have a live fair again, how the virtual stays with us. I think that there were some things people liked, like you noted, and also uh, changing the way we process. I'm pretty sure we're not going to go back to moving everything in on one day and back out. That. No. Well, and and the father of one girl I interviewed, he said that even though he liked not having to have animals to take care of at the fair for six days, he missed being able to talk to his neighbors and friends who he's seen his whole life at the Fonalac County Fair. And this year, there was no opportunity to talk to people. And socializing was discouraged because they didn't even get the bleachers out for people to sit on. You had to bring your own chair to sit on and you were encouraged to stay six feet apart from other people. So social distancing meant that they also didn't have much opportunity to do much chatting with your neighbors. And and that's one of the great things about going to the fair is running into people you see maybe only one or two times a year and, and then one of those times is at the fair. That is lost, but we will get it back. That's one right. thing. It's all come it's all gonna come back eventually. How right. it may be enhanced will be the next question. Right. Well Fran O'Leary, it's been great talking to you today about the changing nature of farm fairs or fairs and state fairs. Um good luck to you and uh Hopefully it'll rain on you a little bit here in the next few days. All right. Thank you. Good talking to you too, Willie. Thanks, friend. We appreciate the insight and we'll be watching to see how those fares may change for the future. And we'll be back after this. It's getting closer. The virtual farm show of the year, powered by Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. The new Farm Progress virtual experience to be held September 15th, 16th, and 17th. Yes, the Farm Progress virtual experience is the online show that'll keep you up to date with the latest technology. Field demos, including the autonomy demos, marketing sessions, cattle handling and production, and so much more. There'll be farmer review and commentary panels and live Q&A, too. This year, you won't have to travel to the show. You can see it all. 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. September 15th, 16th, and 17th, wherever you have online access. From your mobile phone, your iPad, your laptop, your desktop computer, just go to farmprogressshow.com. The Farm Progress Virtual Experience, bringing together the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. That's September 15th through the 17th, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., farmprogressshow.com. The idea of cutting out the middleman and going direct to the consumer isn't new. Just check out all those pop-up sweet corn stands occupied by hopeful farm kids every summer. Direct selling is gaining momentum and got a boost this year with the pandemic, but what might that mean for the future? We discussed that topic with Kurt Ahrens, field editor for Nebraska Farmer, who tells the story of one operation that is taking on the direct sale challenge and leveraging some new talents too. Well, Kurt, it's good to catch up with you in Nebraska. I guess what I'll do is to start like I often do when I talk to editors is, uh, how's the weather out there? <laughs> in my portion of Nebraska, today is is pretty hot. It's going to be hot on through the weekend, lower to mid-90s. But the humidity has been relatively high all summer, and that's kind of kept the dryland crops in the game. 
in many parts of Nebraska, although we're quite dry, the dryland crops still look pretty good. And and of course, the irrigated crops continue to look very good wherever they haven't had any hail or severe weather and that kind of thing. So so it, it's kind of par for the course this week, I would say. That's good. Something normal. Sounds kind of good lately. Yeah. So what we're catching up today about is uh, some work that you did on a story you did, but also talking about a topic that even though it's been a few months, it's still, I think, a pretty hot topic, um, and that is meat processing. We're going to concentrate mostly on beef here, and the changing nature of some of that is an opportunity for guys who raise beef. And also, you talk with somebody who sells direct a little bit. I think, uh, share with me what you're learning in that area. Well, we, we uh, did a story back in April during the early stages of, of the COVID pandemic um, with a family that had been direct marketing some of their home-raised beef for generations, really. They were in the purebred business, but they also had run over the years, had done backgrounding and and feedlot, and they had always sold a few uh, critters every year uh, directly to neighbors. But with the pandemic, there was a lot more interest. And uh, over the past year, fortunate for them, they got their, it was started with grandpa and then their father, had the operation and continues to, to farm together. And their uh, daughter uh, and her young family live just a mile down the road. And they involved her in the promotion of the direct beef business during this pandemic uh, because she is a kind of a social media influencer and has a lot more knowledge on the social media side of it. So it was kind of a neat way for her to be able to be involved in the beef operation in a very special way during this time. That's interesting. The uh, opportunity with direct beef is pretty large. If you can get it processed, how are they handling that? Well, that's been the big challenge. Early on, there, there were plenty of slots. Uh, when the the early orders were coming in, they have a number of lockers that they work with, uh, USDA inspected lockers that were local, you know, hometown type locker plants. Um, that they were working with because they also sell, in addition to, you know, uh, quarters and halves and whole critters, they would also sell beef boxes of different cuts. And so they had to find specific lockers that were willing to work with them. But they had a tradition, you know, over the last many years of working with several lockers. And so they kind of spread that around and were able to find some slots. But it, it continues to be a challenge. And for if you talk to anyone, uh, any of the, the ranchers or farmers who have been direct selling uh, critters, certainly that is the big challenge for them is to not only find just a place to go with the animal, but also, you know, in a timely manner, because consumers are used to being able to kind of pick up their meat whenever they want to. And so, you know, there's some timing issues that are involved. It's it's not for everyone, but I think if they're willing to put in the time, certainly this is a time when the consumers are very interested in this type of a product. Well, in fact, consumers are more connected to their food probably than they've ever been before. They want to kind of know where it came from and knowing the farmer, which is the be- the beauty of direct beef. We're not going to sell all our beef direct. I mean, that's <laughs> no. no. And that's obvious because of what's happened just on capacity. But the other side of it is if you've got a consumer demand for something, if you can fill it, hot dog. 
when I was a kid, we butchered our own beef and at home and the neighbors all got together and, you know, that's what you did. But we've been purchasing beef from a neighbor for many years. And I think like with this family that we interviewed, that's kind of how it all started. And in the early days of the pandemic, it was neighbors trying to support them and support their business. But, you know, as we've gotten a little deeper into this, they've gotten a lot of beef requests from folks, uh, in they they're pretty close to Omaha, so from the metropolitan area who heard about what they're doing, and from all over the place, and so it has really promoted uh, their biz that part of their business anyway. The other thing is the young lady who who is doing the social media side of this business. She's very well versed in how to do that and how to do it right. So she uses primarily Instagram and Facebook as her platforms. And like on uh, Instagram, she'll do polls to try and engage new customers. And like on Facebook, she says she always likes to help educate consumers about how their beef is raised, but then she'll throw recipes in too. So it's kind of a neat mix of promotion, but it also, I think in, you know, in a bigger picture, it helps educate consumers a little bit more about the nutrition of beef, which is good for everybody. Yeah, we need to tell that story because there's a lot of misinformation out there, but some of it's on Facebook, I guess. Interestingly, and, and I, as I look at this from a global perspective, the rise of social media changes this. If you were doing direct beef 10 years ago before Facebook, that's been 15, 15 years ago before right. Facebook showed up, <laughs> you would have to buy ads somewhere. And you still might today, but you can get a lot of business by having a solid website and a good social media presence. This internet as part of this really changes the rule. And it snowballs um, yeah. because if she has a post, let's just say for it's a recipe during grilling season, which she posts all the time, it gets shared and then it gets shared again and it gets shared again. And pretty soon, you know, it's everywhere. Well, then everyone wonders, well, who, where did this come from? And all of a sudden, you know, that's that develops into new new beef orders for boxes or, you know, whatever. And so, right, the the power of social media, I, I mean, being able to use it to your advantage and to understand how it works certainly helps. And the other thing about it I, I really like about this particular story, and, and it, it happens all over, but the ability to bring that next generation into the enterprise in a whole different way and using strengths that she has as in social media to make it work. And let's face it, this isn't the first time this has happened. You know, you can talk to farmers all over who are doing any type of direct uh, marketing, whether it's beef or pork or, you know, even produce. And having someone who is well-versed in social media, boy, that is a good ticket to have right now. And, and uh, it, it certainly helps her sales <laughs> uh, exponentially, I'm sure. Well, I've often said that this is the best opportunity for the next generation to get involved in an operation and add value without potentially having to add a new business. They're basically growing an existing business, which has got a lot of horsepower from the standpoint of your bottom line. You already have the infrastructure for that cow-calf business and then the feeding. And so if you can add value by adding more sales, that's a lot better than, oh, why don't we bring in this other crop or bring in another business line? You've taken the existing business line and made it more profitable. Well, and Everyone in production ag is looking for another revenue stream. And just as you just said, it's difficult sometimes to start something new that you, you know, that maybe you need to learn about that you can't afford the learning curve sometimes. 
And this this family and many families have direct marketed critters for many years, whether it was hogs, it could have been beef. This is just kind of a way to do something that they're already doing, but to sell it in a different way, add value to it, add some educational value to it for their for whoever is their customers and and add that revenue stream that everyone in production ag can always use. To me, it's a win win deal. Oh, it makes perfect sense. It, and anyone listening to this who's looking at this as an opportunity, step back, look at what your product is, and then from there, look at your social media. Like you said, uh, Instagram and Facebook are pretty powerful. Twitter's got gets a lot of attention. It's for different things. I think Facebook allows you to be more personable and engage people differently because Twitter, I've always considered Twitter a river of information and Facebook is more of a, a more of a leisurely way to look at things and see things in different ways. So it's how a company or a farmer might want to look at these as opportunities for promotion. To use social media in this format makes perfect sense. And there's, like you say, there's a lot of information that you can impart using your social media that you couldn't any other way before. Well, and she has a little fun with it too. You know, I I think uh, you have to kind of catch customers in different ways because everyone is attracted to different sides of things. Some folks really like the deep dive into all the information and, you know, they just, that's what they want. Other folks like the fun facts, other folks like polls and the recipes. And so, when you try and provide different pieces to the puzzle, it seems like you catch different folks where they like to be and where they're comfortable. And that's sort of a social media thing, I guess. And uh, and like you say, Facebook is a good place for someone who, who really wants to impart a lot of information, but she can piece it out over time in kind of a fun way so folks can be engaged for short periods at different times and different times during the week. And so she has better opportunities to catch folks rather than, you know, one time shot or that kind of thing. I think it's just a a better opportunity to catch folks when they're on social media during different times of their day. And that seems to be a, a winning formula. No, I think that that's exciting. And we've talked to Amanda Radke on the podcast about the many values of beef and the story of beef is so strong and it's getting such bad rap from a lot of groups when in fact it's such a natural livestock cycle from animal to from grass to animal to food back to grass. It's just a very interesting cycle people don't understand. So as these direct marketers start telling their story and relate to these consumers, Um, I think that'll be pretty valuable for the health of the beef industry in the future, too. You know, we talk a lot about beef, but uh, in our area, I think the the opportunity for direct marketing would be in swine because it's more difficult to find hogs to buy and pork in that direct way. And so um, that may be an opportunity for a family that's looking to add someone to their operation and they want to, you know, start at least dipping their toes in the water of direct marketing. Hogs might be the thing. I think there's, you know, opportunities for all kinds of different types of production enterprises through using this same kind of formula. It's interesting, too. I'm sure some people listening to this go, well, yeah, but I would say the consumer might be worried about my commercial operation or the size of my operation. And um, I've heard too many stories about consumers. They just want to know who raised it, because if they know who raised it, they trust how it was raised. It's an interesting linkage. It's like, so you have a large commercial swine operation. Maybe you're a 2000 sow operation and you're turning a lot of pigs a year. That's huge to a consumer. But if the consumer knows that it's Farmer Smith in Northeast Nebraska that's raising this and Farmer Smith has these 
two cute kids that work in the hog operation and a wife that does the social media or Farmer Smith does the social media and his wife does the books, whatever the pitch is, that's a family they can relate to. And that pe- those people are not going to do anything bad to my food. I want to buy from them. And I think that's something that we forget. The consumer trusts the farmer. This is a bit of capital that we can invest in our own businesses. Well, and, and even larger commercial operations, it seems like the, you know they're very much family involved, family oriented. And I think consumers are very receptive to that message. If they could do that and if they wanted to, it would help educate some of the consumers as far as the very important family component to many of the, the larger operations. It also uh, allows them maybe an opportunity to impart you know, some of the really good animal husbandry stuff that goes on in these operations that, you know, sometimes consumers are, are have their ears closed to that because they're all worried about size. And yet if they really dig into how things are raised and how things are done and why they're done, um, it seems like consumers are like, okay, that makes sense to me now, but no one ever explained it to me. And so maybe there's an opportunity there too. Well, Kurt Arns, it's been great talking to you today. Just stay safe and uh... Keep up the good work. Thanks a lot, Willie. We'll see you soon. I want to thank Fran O'Leary for her insights about county and state fairs. And thanks also to Kurt Ahrens for helping break down what may be some new opportunities for farms in the future. Around Farm Progress is our newest podcast looking at agriculture with the help of our national editorial team. But we have other podcasts you'll want to check out. The best way to find them is to visit farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. Give them a listen. And we continue our in-depth coverage of all things regarding COVID-19 at farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs, and of course, the Farm Progress Virtual Experience. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.